Dale chooses our hymns. And he, I'm sure, did not know that he managed to pick two of my three favorite hymns in the entire hymn book. Abide with me. 26 or 27 years ago, I was visiting with a husband and wife and their granddaughter in Uganda. Their their son and his wife had been killed by Idi Amin. And we spent the evening together. And at the end of the evening, we sang, Abide with Me. And uh, it always has special significance uh, for me whenever we sing it. And then my all-time favorite is uh, How Sweet and Awesome is the Place. Uh, the the content of that hymn forms the content of many of my prayers for the church. Let's pray. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in Your sight. O oh God, our Rock and our Redeemer, as we consider our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the true rock, who is our true salvation, who is the way, the truth, and the life. We pray in His name. Amen. You know, sometimes when you need to make a significant life change, God will sometimes send something your way that causes you to move. This was the case for Martin Luther. When he was still a young Catholic priest, but he was beginning to understand justification by faith. He would listen to the uh, confessions of his parishioners. The, uh, the parishioners in Wittenberg would come and confess their sins to him. But then he noticed that all of a sudden, many among his flock began to tell him that they no longer needed to repent of their sins because they had already purchased indulgences for themselves from a priest that was traveling nearby. This traveling priest was named John Tetzel. John Tetzel was indeed a Roman Catholic priest. He was traveling near Wittenberg and the people were going to him to purchase indulgences that would grant them complete forgiveness of sins that would grant them a relationship with God and would grant them freedom from purgatory. And these indulgences could not only be purchased for yourself, but for a small added price. You could also buy your dead loved one's way out of purgatory. What a deal! Here's just a portion of a sermon from John Tetzel. He said, Listen to the voices of your dear dead relatives and friends beseeching you and saying, Pity us! Pity us! We are in dire torment from which you can redeem us for a pittance. Do you not wish to? Open your ears. Hear the father saying to his son or the mother to her daughter, We bore you nourished you, brought you up, left you our fortunes, 
And are you so cruel and hard that now you are willing for so little? You are not willing for so little to set us free? Will you let us lie here in the flames? Will you delay our promised glory? Remember that you are able to release them. For as soon as the coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs. But what had happened back in the 1500s, the early 1500s, is that the Pope had allowed for the sale of indulgences because he had a great building project that was just beginning in Rome. He was just beginning to build what was what would become or come to be known as St. Peter's Basilica. Some of you have likely toured it if you've ever been to Italy. The idea that you could buy your salvation or that you could buy your dead relatives way into heaven with money incensed Luther. It was the sale of indulgences that caused him to write the 95 Theses and nail them to the church door in Wittenberg. Did you know that the Roman Catholic Church still endorses the idea of indulgences? You can Google it if you don't believe me. Roman Catholicism teaches that saints who lived exemplary lives and exemplary lives over and above what you would need for salvation, that they have given their righteousness, their excess righteousness to the church so that the church can then grant indulgences to people who need some extra righteousness to get out of purgatory. Now, Roman Catholicism has since rejected Tetzel's aggressive practice of selling indulgences but they still make indulgences available. Usually at a person's funeral, uh, it is mentioned that you can purchase additional masses for, um, for your loved one in case that they uh, are, are having to go to purgatory to purge themselves of some of their sins. Martin Luther and all the other reformers used the phrase solos Christos to set themselves apart from this nonsense. Christ alone is the only way of salvation. You cannot purchase extra righteousness or excess righteousness from some of the so-called super saints. You cannot receive grants of absolution or salvation from the church. You cannot earn forgiveness by your works. Salvation and every benefit that comes with this salvation comes from Christ alone. Now in saying that salvation comes from Christ alone, it is very important that we all understand that we need a Savior. I want you to ask yourself this question right now no matter whether you're one of the elders, deacons, or one of the children, or one of the, um, the uh, older of our members, or one of our visitors, I want you to ask yourself this question right now. Do I really need a Savior? 
The reason I want you to ask yourself that question is because, sadly, many people don't fully recognize that they need one. They reason that they are not really bad people. Or even if they understand that they've committed sins, they can appease God by cooperating with Jesus. By exercising their self-discipline, they can turn away from their temptations while Jesus does the forgiving. And so it's Jesus plus me. And Jesus plus anything is a rejection of Christ alone. And the reason why so many people will add a plus sign to Jesus, Jesus plus, is because they are never really ready to humble themselves enough to admit that the Bible's testimony about them is true. That they are unholy. And so they want to add a little bit of themselves to keep for themselves a little bit of goodness for themselves rather than truly embracing the Bible's testimony about them. But to have Jesus Christ as your Savior, you must realize that you are desperately uh, in need of being saved. And Jesus alone must do the saving. When we speak of Christ alone, we are saying that the salvation of humanity depends entirely upon the person and work of Jesus Christ. If there's any other way for us to be saved without Jesus going to the cross and bearing our curse and suffering the wrath of God in our place, God would have surely found that alternative way. God, in His infinite knowledge and wisdom, would surely have planned another way if there were another way. But Jesus Christ is the only one who can meet our need. And He is the only one who can accomplish all of God's sovereign demands that are needed for our salvation. And the difficulty here arises from the perfections of God's nature. God must punish sinful man. He is a just God. Yet, He is also, in His mercy, determined to forgive <coughs> excuse me to forgive sin so then how can god be just and the justifier of sinners he cannot simply overlook sin and still be just he cannot relax the demands of his justice and still be holy only jesus christ can bridge the gap can bridge the infinite distance between God's holy justice and His loving determination to save sinners like us. It's such a mystery that the Bible says even the angels long to look into and figure out exactly how God was able to do this. The question of how an infinitely holy and just God could forgive sinners is the central theme of the Bible. 
from the first communication that God had uh, with humanity after Adam's sin, God made His intention known of saving sinful human beings while at the same time upholding His justice. You remember Genesis chapter 3. God proclaimed that He would raise up a descendant from Eve who would bring salvation by crushing the head of the serpent. But then He continued to express His holy justice by removing Adam and Eve from the garden. And so the whole rest of the Bible is nothing less than the unfolding plan of God to bring Eve's descendant into the world so that He could bring His promised salvation. Jesus Christ is not and never was considered a plan B in God's mind. He was not God's Hail Mary that God launched at the last second when the Jews unexpectedly put Jesus on the cross. Oh, speaking of Hail Marys, my sincere congratulations to you Florida Gator fans. The message of the Bible is that God determined to save sinful humans in the only way possible. How did He do it? By sending His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh that He might condemn sin in the flesh. He marked out a people for Himself from which to bring the Savior. Who were these people? Well, these were the Israelites. How did they reward His choosing them to be His own treasured possession? They rejected Him continually. They worshipped and served the false gods of the nations around them. And finally, they began to learn something. After they were exiled and returned 70 years later from the exile, they decided that they should no longer worship the false gods. Instead, they worshiped themselves as God's special people. But for a precious few exceptions, Israel was an apostate and godless nation. The history of Israel, in fact, is intended to teach us that sinful man is unable to save himself. And that beyond that, sinful man is totally unworthy of God's love or salvation. But Israel also magnifies God's grace by demonstrating His patience and His mercy towards sinners. And also, His patience and mercy towards Israel demonstrates His faithfulness to His promises to save people like us who are unworthy of His love. And even the greatest heroes of the Bible are intended to show us just how utterly in need we are of God's salvation. Think of Abraham, or Jacob, or Joseph, or Moses, or David, or Elijah. Think of any of them. All of them had their missteps. All of them had their sins that showed that they were unworthy of being an adequate Savior for Israel. What was needed was an utterly unique person who could bring salvation 
for an utterly unworthy people. And Christ alone is that only person that has ever lived who could ever be that utterly unique Savior. He is unique because God brought Him into the world to save sinners. God designed all of human history for that time that He would bring Jesus Christ here into our world. Everything in history revolves around God's purposes for the Lord Jesus Christ. I hate to tell the world, but the world doesn't revolve around us. It revolves around the Lord Jesus Christ. And it revolves for the Lord Jesus Christ because He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And it revolves by the power of Jesus Christ. Because in Him, all things hold together. Christ is also unique because He never sinned. He lived the perfect life that Adam forfeited by his sin. He lived in this world without ever sinning. Try and think with me about this. Think with me about your resolutions not to sin. Your attempts at righteousness and your failures to be righteous. Our Lord Jesus Christ lived in this world without ever sinning in any of His words, any of His actions, any of His thoughts, any of His motives and intentions of His heart. He was hated, yet He continually loved His enemies. He was accused of being sent from Satan, but He only did God's will. He was accused of being a blasphemer, but He only spoke truth. His character was absolutely without spot or blemish, but He died a felon's death. He was accused of being false, but His heart was white with holiness. He was and is absolute purity. From eternity to eternity, He is holy. In order for us to stand in God's presence, we need this purity and this holiness. Without holiness, Hebrews 12 verse 14 says, no one will see the Lord. And we have no holiness. We have no righteousness. But Christ gives us His righteousness. We don't need to go to St. Mary or St. Peter to get an indulgence from their leftover righteousness. We go to Christ alone. His righteousness is not mere leftovers. We get His full, entire, complete righteousness. We get His perfect purity. You might be thinking to yourself, well, what if Christ runs out of righteousness? You know, He's been giving out His righteousness to countless numbers of people. Will He have enough for me? Well, this brings up the other unique thing about Jesus Christ. He is not just a human. He is the everlasting Son of God. He is fully human. He had to be human in order to be an appropriate and suitable Savior for sinners. Only a human could justly do what Adam failed to do. 
as 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 says, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. But He is not just a mere man. He is also God. He is Almighty God in the flesh. He left His heavenly throne to come here to earth, not just to tell us about God, not just to give us a good example for for how we should live our lives. He left heaven and came here to earth so that He could go to that awful cross. And He went to that cross so that He could bear our sins. He who hated sin with His eternal soul went to the cross to bear our sins in His body on the tree. He who is too holy to look upon sin became sin for us. He who never sinned was punished for our sins. Roman Catholicism and all other man-made attempts at, at, uh, at salvation are so pathetic compared to the biblical doctrine of salvation that Christ accomplished for us that He accomplished for us without our assistance. Christ alone has accomplished our salvation. Christ alone is the only one who could ever accomplish our salvation. So what does all this mean for us? First of all, it means that Jesus Christ is the only Savior for mankind. Look again at Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Peter declared, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It means that salvation is exclusively through Jesus Christ. He alone is the way, the truth, and the life. No man or woman comes to the Father except through Him. It means, as 1 John chapter 5, verse 12 tells us, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Brothers and sisters, we must be clear in our conviction that Jesus Christ is the exclusive Savior. And we must speak with clarity about the exclusivity of our salvation in Jesus Christ. All other approaches to God are false. All other approaches to God are damnable in the theological sense of the term. If we become squeamish about our testimony regarding the uniqueness and exclusivity of Christ, we will have become like salt that has lost its saltiness. We will be good for nothing but to be thrown out, trampled under the feet by, underneath the feet of men. I know the world hates the exclusivity of the Christian salvation. The reason they hate it so much is because they hate the unique Savior. The world will rage and scream about the Christian message being a message of hate. The scribes and the religious leaders 
who had arrested Peter and John. They hated Jesus as well. Listen to to Peter's clarity as he speaks to these religious leaders and scribes who literally held His life in their hands. He says in verse 11, This Jesus... I'll start with verse 10. He says, Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you have crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by Him this man is standing before you well, because they had healed this lame person. Then he says in verse 11, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must, not may, not might, but must be saved. When unbelievers throw themselves at Christ in all their fury, in all their hatred, they will only be smashed upon Him. Because Jesus Christ and His salvation is not movable according to the sensitivities and feelings of mankind. He is the rock of our salvation. He is the true cornerstone, as Peter says in verse 11. And then lastly, we learn from the doctrine of Christ alone that Jesus is the Gospel. When you become a believer, you're not simply placing your trust in a set of stale doctrines. You are placing your trust in a person and not in just a mere man. You are placing your trust in the eternal Son of God who loved you and gave Himself for you. He loved you enough to leave heaven for you. He loved you enough to suffer suffer the curse of sin for you. He loved you enough to be nailed to the cross for you. He loved you enough to go to the grave for you. And He continues to love you now and for eternity as we pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank You that You have loved unworthy sinners like us. We thank You that You are the unique Savior who is willing and able to save us from our sins and to bring us into an eternal relationship with Your and our Heavenly Father. And so we praise You in Your name. Amen.